Hello, everyone. Hello, my dear audience. Hello, my friends. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. I am back in my home in New York after having given a workshop in Texas at the Gary Knowles retreat. My subject and my classes were one hour and a half for five days. My subject was keeping sanity in the world that went crazy. Those of you who have been tuning in my show for a while know that I developed and taught over 40 different workshops during the last four decades. Some of them I taught two or three times, and some, like face reading, I taught over 30 times. Many of my workshops I shared with you, ladies and gentlemen, or at least gave uh, an overview of what they were about. I will gladly share with you this workshop as well. Uh, but I need your participation. Please send me an email and let me know if you want me to teach this workshop, Keeping Sanity in the World That Went Crazy. Uh, if I receive at least 20 emails requiring re requesting it, I will teach it. If I do not, I will not. It means there is no interest. Also, I spend altogether seven and a half hours teaching it. But if I share it with you, uh, there will be little or no interaction between you and me, unlike when it's done in a live workshop. I can manage to do the whole workshop in three hours, that is, over three shows. I would still continue talking about the Bible every other week, and every other week I would do this workshop. Uh, there is another option. I can make an abbreviated version of the workshop and do it for one hour only. So please send me an email and let me know if you're interested in a short version, full version, or there are no, uh, if there are no emails again, I will assume that there is no interest. And I will just keep going uh, with the Bible or whatever issue you may want me to address. No offense, honestly, this show is for you. And I want to do what you are interested in, not, not what my preference is. Uh, as long as you ask me about something that I'm qualified to talk about, I will be happy to do this. So here is my email, Peter, number 18, Resnik, R-E-Z-N-I-K, at gmail.com. And if you want to call today with a question or comment, the number is 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. Also, if you have trouble listening to us through the internet because of poor internet connection, you can use the listen live by phone number. And that is 1-641-793-7091. 641-793-7091. Now, as usual, before we start on the main subject of today, a little show and tell. 
No, not a poem or a story. I just wanted to share with you something from my experience of being at Gary Knoll's ranch last week. Well, after all, <laughs> it is a little story. We were having lunch in the staff dining room, and there was this uh, 38-year-old man, Jameson, calm, composed, respectful, confident, and modest. Uh, he was teaching people uh, who came to the retreat different forms of meditation. Excuse me, I will have a sip of my ginger tea. <clears throat> Several of us were sharing how, uh, you know, about our life, uh, how God or destiny or universe brought us to that particular place at that particular time to be at Gary Knoll's retreat. And Jameson quoted Seneca, the Roman philosopher of the first century, who said, bad weather makes good sailors. Wow. How short, how revealing, how clear bad weather makes good sailors. Yeah. If you go through challenges, that's how you grow. I hope he does not mind sharing me this with you. Uh, it was true then, the statement, it is true now. Gary attracts this kind of people. I thought I'm in a good company, actually. <laughs> we all have been through bad weather, and we earned probably our right to be some kind of navigators to others, still working on our bad weather. I would not hire a Harvard graduate, for example, with PhD in clinical psychology, who had no life experience, did not raise children, did not go through military, uh, did not go through stormy waters. I would not hire him or her if I needed um, to do, for example, counseling to one, for one of my children. But I would hire Jameson. I would hire my student Christopher, who is a father of four, ch four children, has no formal education in psychology, but for 20 years runs a challenging but successful business with 50 employees. In fact, in April, uh, 2020, after I had COVID, and I already told you about it, I spent 11 days with fever 103. Uh, and my sister Ina and my nephew Oleg barely pulled me back to life. I, I suddenly it was three and a half years ago already God, I suddenly felt very vulnerable, I remember. Uh, I was concerned about, at that time, my daughter Hannah was traveling in Peru, my son was in Maryland University, so they didn't know what was happening. And I was concerned how it would affect my children if I were not to come back from one of those dives into the blackness that I would go in and out of. Hannah was still 18 years old, so I, I was shaken, actually. It really would be concerned how it would affect Hannah. Aaron was already a strong young man and quite rational. 
So I called Darren. He was at the university and to told him that I was already recovering. So he is a cool guy and, you know, he took it serious, seriously, but, you know, was happy. I was fine. No drama. And I told him that uh, if something would happen to me and he or his sister needed psychological or emotional guidance, they were to call Christopher. Not any of my PhD in psychology or social work students. Uh, what they call licensed health professionals. No, but Christopher, why him? Why a Catholic guy counseling two Jewish kids? The main criteria for me, he's kind. Plus, he studied with me and he knows my tools. But the main thing, he's kind and caring. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to see a physician or any health professional, my advice, do not work with anyone you do not feel has a heart and is really interested in you and your well-being rather than sticking to their schedule and seeing yet another patient. Wow, where, look where it took me. Okay, we move on. No, no, another little story. Gary and I had our flights on Sunday, this past Sunday. He was going to Florida and I was going to New York. So David, one of the staff people, uh, was giving us a ride to Dallas airport. It's a two-hour ride. Gary and I spoke about life, about our latest projects. And then I told him that I find, usually find pretty much every day time to listen to his talks on PRN at noon because uh, I don't start my working day usually till 1 p.m. So I said, uh, you know, every day I go to uh, this gym called Lifetime. I swim there, play pickleball, I, I work out. And then by at 12 o'clock, I get in the car and I'm on my way home. So I'm listening to him and I ask him, uh, you know, I hear him talk every single day, uh, citing new and new studies on health and nutrition from around the world. So I ask him, how many people were doing research for him, assuming he had a staff of collecting data for his shows. Ladies and gentlemen, many of you listen to Gary now. I don't know if he ever shared with, with you or oh, he's modest and does not want to show off. And I hope he doesn't mind me sharing because it was a private conversation. He said to me, oh no, I prepare all my material myself. Every morning I read 60 to 70 scientific articles before I start my day. Yes, you heard right, 60 to 70 articles. You understand what's going on here? I would have difficulties to believe uh, if, if I did not have a similar experience before. Remember, I told you that for 15 years I was a staff member of the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine. I lived in Rockland County then, half a mile away from Michael Schachter's home. We would go running together in the morning. 
before work. By the time I would pick him up at 6.30 in the morning, he usually, he usually managed to, uh, to read at least 10 articles. And as we would run, and he would run with these, and I was huffing and puffing. Remember, he's 10, 12 years older than me. Uh, he would give me an overview of the articles that he thought would be of interest to me. Yeah. Some people just have this kind of minds. And, oh, by the way, Gary told me that how I asked him if he started speed reading. And he said, no. When he was a teenager, he was young, he had no money to buy books. And he would go to a bookstore. And he didn't want to spend the whole day, so he would get a book and read it quickly, quickly, quickly. So that's how he was reading books. I guess you can, if you practice and you are committed and you have, of course, the mind like this, uh, you can learn it. So by, and now he reads 60 to 70 articles every day. I, it's unbelievable to me, but I know that that's what he does. Because I listen, you know, so many sightings every single day. He talks about different studies. Isn't it incredible? All right. Now, <laughs> we're back to uh, our subject. Back to the greatest book ever written. The instructional manual written as a historical narrative. And as an intellectual reading through texts, hints, or suggestions, as an archetypal storyline, as a metaphorical teaching through illustrations, and as a secret encoded text requiring careful and deliberate deciphering. That is of Kabbalah, of course. We are back to our more than humble attempts. Remember, I am not a professional. I'm not a deep, deep uh, scholar of the Torah. Uh, but our attempts to look into the deeper meaning of the instructions given in the Torah. By the way, you can call during my talk. You can call if you have a question or a comment regarding the subject I'm talking about but not talking about another subject. Last week, a gentleman called and started talking about the uh, Jesus, the Gospels. Uh, God bless him. He's interested in the subject. He's a good Christian. And it's a very interesting subject, but I am not qualified to talk about, about the Gospels. And the subject I'm speaking about, the Old Testament, from which Christianity comes from, uh, Christians do accept the Torah as a divine text, only they see it as part one. So, uh, and, and the Gospels, the coming of Jesus is the second part. So this gentleman was ahead of the time. I don't want not only to talk about uh, the Gospels now, that's the way, way, way later, and probably somebody else uh, can talk about it. But I don't even want to talk about the Deuteronomy or the book of Exodus. We are talking now about Genesis. So let's stay with it. If you have a question regarding the material we are going through, if you have a comment, please call. You have the number. Okay, so far we got to the, through the verses 
uh, from 1 to 26, 27. Yes, and God created a human being, male and female. He created them. Here is the verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. This is the very first commandment. So when people say, oh, we decided not to have children. If they follow the Bible, uh, that's an error. There are so many people on the planet, some people think there are so many orphans, or they decide, decided to adopt. That's also fine. It's a very noble thing. That's very kind of you to worry about overpopulation or children who do not have parents or good home. But if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, do not worry about overpopulation. And you can still adopt a child or children, but you must have your own child if you can. That's a commandment. As Rabbi Mizrahi said, God is not your friend from high school. He says this, he says that. You know, God said something to a human being, do it. So that means it's a commandment. So be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue, conquer, overpower. These days people sometimes say, oh, be a steward of the earth. But that's not what is written. That's not the translation. The translation is subdue it, master it, or whatever. How? Let's continue. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. By the way, dominion does not mean, does not mean eat it. Eat them. It simply means that human beings were meant to be the top of the chain, to be in control or have the, an authority over them. The original idea, as we'll see soon, was not even that the animals would eat, eat each other. And only after the flood, we'll get to it later, God permitted humans to eat animals. Many years later, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, 6, verses 6 through 9. Chapter Isaiah prophesied of the future kingdom of God on earth. Interesting, I, I, I want to pause for a second. Of God on earth. Remember, Judaism is not a tradition that is so concerned about afterlife. You will see very little in the Torah, if not, almost nothing, about afterlife or bringing us to ourselves to heaven. It's all about bringing heaven to, to, to earth, bringing God to earth, making earth a godly place. So Isaiah prophesied the kingdom of God on earth in which all creatures would again become vegetarian. It's written, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. 
and the lion, like the ox, shall eat straw. So even animals will become vegetarian. As we'll see later, God is not so occupied, as I said, even with us eating or not eating animals. Because later we are permitted to eat animals. But God is very concerned about us not being cruel to animals. One of the seven commandments, um, which people received after the flood, will be about that. You know, uh, maybe at one point I will, yes, when we talk about Noah, I will tell you what are the seven commandments. And the seven, remember, there were no Hebrews, there were no Jews. Jews are new kids on the block. When Abraham is mentioned coming from Ur, which is southern Iraq, uh, Egypt was already at least more than a thousand years original superpower. So the seven commandments were given uh, to Noah, and one of them was not to eat from the animal that is still alive. Some cultures are still doing it. Uh, with I, I am I've been to downtown New York. I've seen you know uh, turtle being cut pieces, cut and it's still moving, and they begin to serve it. That's 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 viola violation of one of those commandments. Anyway, verse twenty nine. And God said, "Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed." that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. So that's what we, we're really meant to be vegetarian. Verse 30, and to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, into everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Here, after God created humans, God said for the first time, it was not just good, it was very good. That was it. Creating humans was very good. And then, for a long time, mostly it was trouble. At least for the following about 2,000 years when Abraham found favor in God's eyes and eventually changed Abram. Uh, eventually God changed his name to Abraham and we'll talk in detail what happened and why and how. All that is still far, far ahead of us. But now we go to the chapter two, chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Verse 2. And the seventh day, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he has done, and he rested on the seventh day 
from all his work that he had done. Excuse me, <laughs> did God need the rest? Did he overworked, got tired? Did he sweat, needed to take a shower, needed a break? Let's see. I mean, maybe we'll understand it by looking at, at the Chinese concept of yin and yang. Remember, yin, a yang being a masculine active, moving forward, creating, and yin being feminine, quiet, receptive. So God, after expressing God's giving and creating aspect, moved into his receptive and still quiet aspect. You understand? First three, the second chapter. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had been done in creation. So we are clearly told uh, that there is time for work and time to take a break. In fact, this uh, break was a first time in human history where people were told rest, don't work. And in fact, uh, you don't work your ox, you don't work your slave, you don't work your worker, you don't work anybody. So, in fact, in the times uh, of Romans, Romans used to call Hebrews the lazy nation. Because not, yes, of course, um, the, the Romans had slaves, uh, and the Egyptians had slaves, every culture in the world had slaves. The slaves the, the abolition of slavery only started by, European, by Europeans. In Africa, blacks, black people owned black people. They fought tribes against tribes and had slaves. And who do you think built the China, Great Wall of China? Chinese taskmasters over uh, Chinese slaves. And so it was in the Middle East, everywhere, everywhere. Workers were working seven days a week till they died. Uh, and uh, animals, the same thing. And it was the, the Torah that introduces this day uh, of rest. In fact, I read a long time ago, Arch Archbishop Flannery, a great Catholic Archbishop said, if Hebrews, if Jews into, uh, brought nothing into this world, but the idea of Sabbath, they are to be, I don't remember exact words, honored or upheld to the end of time. So it was an incredible introduction uh, of, of taking a break from habitual life, from exerting yourself to being quiet. And the idea is to know how to receive. We'll get to, to know a little later. To receive what? Let's go to verse 4. These are generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the God, Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Here for the first time, we have two words for God. Remember I said, Lord God, and it's, it's written in Hebrew, Elohim and Adonai. Elohim Adonai. The sages explain 
that the word word um, mercy is uh, literally it means justice. Adonai is the God's quality and or capacity for mercy. And the word Elohim is the power of justice. Elohim is also, remember, we already spoke about it in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, God created it, and, and it writes Elohim. Elohim is also all powers, right? So Adonai is the God's quality of, or capacity for mercy, which in Hebrew is Rachamim, mercy. That's why, by the way, the woman's uterus is called Rechem. She, like God, has mercy. And within herself, she makes space to create new life. I think on, in our first, first talk um, on God creating the world, we said there is a Hebrew word, Tzimtzum, contraction. God contracted himself and created a little space for the universe. So the woman contracts herself, pulls out her, her being, and within her allows that seed uh, go into the uh, egg, and there is a space for new life begins. Uh, this is, in some states, children encouraged to question their biology and choose their sex from the young age, from the age when they are not mature enough to make decisions for themselves, because their moods and preferences are unstable and shifting weekly, if not daily. And if they choose what they call to do full, what is it called, transition, girls can be given uh, puberty blockers, from the age of 10, I believe. I actually did a little research. They can have their breasts removed at the age of 16 and have a complete hysterectomy at the age of 18. From spiritual perspective, it creates spiritual confusion. If you accept that we, that, that we are born with a purpose, a soul comes into this world with a certain intention, right? It comes with an intention uh, to, to achieve. Every soul has its own intention. And then, st uh, still as a child, a person is indoctrinated. What is happening now in television, in schools, indoctrinated that he or she can choose their gender. The girl whose intent was to be ying, the soul's intent, that is receptive, merciful, gentle, and creative, is moving into young energy. And the boy who by birth is a young energy, whose intent was to be active, giving, forceful, is moving into his opposite. If someone is truly feeling they are in the wrong body, it's a serious, serious issue. And it used to be not, not a very common thing. In fact, from what I learned, uh, there were, in the United States, there was only one clinic that was doing uh, what has transitions, they're doing surgeries and so Now there are 30. It's an incredibly profitable business. 
in you know, Hippocrates, doctors took an oath. Hippocrates' oath begins with the words, first do no harm. Uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's, ama it's amazing. I would say those people who do this surgeries, they probably don't listen to Peter Resnick and his explanations of the Torah. Uh, I mean, there are, there are things that happen and, and I say, these people have no God. They don't care. And I'm not talking only about this, this story with mutilating children. There are people who just uh, rip off other people and so mercifully that you say, this person doesn't have God. There is no fear. You know, only through this, I, I understand the word, you shall fear God. Fear is not walking and trembling and being afraid to breathe. No. When you know there is um, accountability, uh, then you behave differently. Okay, that was regarding chapter 2, verse 4. And now, here, ladies and gentlemen, I believe where the chapter 1 should end, at the verse 4, the verse 4. Who am I to say that? But bear with me, uh, I'm not the only one. Meaning that the first chapter should be not 31 verse, but 35 verses. Remember, the Torah, the, the scroll itself does not have, it's only when we read the Torah through a book, it's broken down into chapters. But the original scroll was just a text, just a text, no breaks. Yeah, they were, they were like, there is an ending of the, uh, of the sentence. That, that's it. There are no chapters, no portions. I will tell you why it should be ending at this point. Because, as I told you, if you remember, if I remember correctly, it was my first Kabbalah teacher, Zev Ben Shimon Halevi, who taught uh, this is what I'm about to tell you, and it seems to me reasonable that all that we read about God creating plants, fish, animals, and humans, till this verse 4 in chapter 2 was, not, was done not in the physical world, but as an idea in God's mind. Remember when we started saying, uh, the, the, when I read the first sentence, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God created, bara, the word bara means created. We conceive or create something in our mind like a project, and only then we implement this project in the physical world through action. Otherwise, if, if everything you read were not just in the mind of God, then what follows in the next few verses would be just a boring repetition of what already was written in the first chapter. Remember, what we read in the verses 11 through 25, all the vegetation, 
was created in the fish, in the sea, in the animals. And then in the verse 26, humans. And here, it all, all that was already created then. And here in chapter 2, verse 5, listen to this. When no bush of the field was yet in the land. You see what I'm talking about? And no small plant in the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. No man? What about creating a man in the image and likeness of, of God? Verse 1, uh, verse 26, chapter 1. You see what I'm talking about? But no. Listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 6. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth, of the ground. Thank you very much. Now the plants can grow and... Listen to this. Here we go. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God, remember that it means the Lord God, the one with justice and mercy. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And man became a living soul. It is just a repetition of the verse 26, yes? Not at all, particularly if you know Hebrew. In the chapter 1, the, the word was bara, created. And here, Lord God formed the man, formed in Hebrew, is Yetzer. Formation is a physical process. So in the first chapter, everything is conceived in the mind of God. And here in the second chapter, God wills everything, including the man, into physical existence. Now it's easier to understand the wisdom of the Chinese proverb. If you want to know where your mind was yesterday, look at your body today. If you want to know where your body will be tomorrow, look at your mind today. And the truth is, it's not regarding only our body. It's regarding everything and everyone in our lives. There is yet another element to be noticed in this verse. It is indeed, I would say, of, of the most, the greatest importance. God, Lord, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. A human being is the only creature which received life through the breath of God. We are carriers of the breath of God. And with this breath, we say horrific things. We do things which are scary. And without remembering that God breathed life into us, no other creature. And uh, uh, verse 8, and, and the Lord God planted a garden 
in Eden, in the east. You see here is even a location given. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 9, chapter 2. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good to eat, good for food. So Gary Null is right. Originally, we were all planned to be vegetarian. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Ay, ay, ay. What was the reason for dear God to put that tree of good and evil in the first place? Huh? What do you think? Nobody is calling. So I tell you, if nobody is uh, guessing, that the human being would be able to be uh, like in image and likeness of God, not a robot or a puppet. God knows all the possibilities of becoming. So disobedience is one of them. To know about good and evil. But when they were ready, when they learned to curb uh, what we call today the impulse of immediate gratification, to run the whole show on earth, the first thing is needed is to know how to listen to God. Just like to become a general. Uh, I, I remember I saw this incredible movie, but many, many people remember it in the Soviet Union. It was called Mos Moscow Doesn't Believe in Tears. And there is this incredible scene, uh, an old dignified lady, gray hair, is sitting in a company of few young girls. And one um, kind of looking very superficial young girl says, but um, what, what, what is husband doing? Because she saw that this woman is wise and, and she wanted to know like, who, who is her husband, who is her partner in life, where she got this uh, wisdom from her husband, from her parents. And so she asked questions and, and the woman smiles and says, well, uh, my my husband is a general, and the girl say, yells like, oh, I would love to be married to a general. And the lady answers, you know, darling, to be a wife of a general, you have to marry a lieutenant. So, and indeed to vote, to, to earn your right to be under the sun, as we say, you have to start from the beginning. So, Yes, you can be God. Uh, Adam and Eve were intended to know everything that God knew, but in its own time, to to be on the level of receiving, first you have to be uh, receptive, which means being able to yield. God offers Adam 
and of course later Eve to live in the world of revelation, God says, and they do. And as we know a little later, uh, they did not withstand the temptation and they threw themselves into the world of experimentation. Let's go with verse 10. A river followed, flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. Uh, next, the name of the first was Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah. We don't know what it is, where there is gold. I have no idea, and I looked for the commentaries to see uh, where the river is and why gold is mentioned. I have not found it, but again, um, I am not a person who dedicated my life studying. So maybe there are explanations, but I don't have them. And I know there are two rivers that we know even now, but two rivers that are mentioned, and it's altogether four rivers, uh, nobody knows. It's written here, the verse 12. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. Again, we don't know. Most commentators on the Torah just uh, write it down, the words, but they don't go into explanation because they, they didn't find it. And definitely I cannot find any explanation to it. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed. Oh, it's written flowed, not flows, but flowed around the whole land of Kush. And that's interesting. All right, and the first also, it's written flowed. Maybe this river is dried, dried out. It is the one that flowed around the land of Kush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, remember, which flows east of Assyria. Now, God re refers to Assyria, but remember there was no Assyria yet. There was no Assyria. Assyria came way, way, way much later. That already God understands. When, when God gives the Torah, then Assyria already existed. But not when Adam was created. So there is a little discontinuity in timing. Simply, God wants people who received the Torah a couple of thousand years after Assyria uh, uh, after the uh, couple of, no, uh, three, over 3,000 years after uh, creation of Adam, uh, knowing that people, uh, Hebrews knew of Assyria, so he uses the name of Assyria. But Assyria, when the <laughs> uh, Garden of Eden was created, Assyria did not exist. And the fourth river was Ephrates, and that's, of course, where modern Iraq is. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. Work what? How? When all the plants are there to eat. And the answer the sages gave, since there was nothing 
to do because the, the plants were uh, growing by themselves. So the sages say that to work there was to keep the order, to follow what God taught. That is, God would teach Adam what to do and how to manage the domain in which he was living. Why to manage? Here we'll learn in the next verse. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Really? You know what happened. Neither Adam nor his partner, when they ate of the fruit, did not die. Neither of them died. So what, was God bluffing? Of course not. God was saying, you will no longer be mortal. You will be a subject of dying. And now the very interesting next verse. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man, for the man to be alone. Interesting, right? Loneliness is the first thing God noticed to be not good. Remember, we spoke about the purpose of creation. God does not want, did not want to be alone. So God understood that it is not good for man to be alone because the man is created in the image and likeness of God. And here we continue, uh, continue the same verse, 18. I will, God says, I will make him a helper fit for him. But the literal translation I looked up is a helper who is equal or a helper who is opposing him. Because that word is uh, uh, etzer, uh, is, is helper. Uh, and it's not in any way implies inferior position. Because God in many places of the Torah calls himself a helper, a helper to men. Uh, so, but it's a, that's an interesting the word. Um, the oppose, it can be the word kinigdo, can be translated as equal or opposing. And I, I will run just a few chapters ahead of the game or, or one chapter ahead of the game, but I will tell you about it. The sages say Adam was called, Adam was called Ish, and the woman was eventually called by Adam Isha. And the same letters that form Isha uh, are the letters that form the word Ash, which is fire. And there is a letter head, hey, uh, in the name. And what they say in the letter hey, all through uh, through the Torah symbolizes the, the name for God. The, for example, Abram 
when it's Abram is approached by God, he's still Abram. When he is in Ur, uh, that is southern Iraq, he's still Abram. But then when uh, Abram decides to follow, listens to the voice of God, and leaves his home, follows the word of God, then God calls him Abraham and not Sarah. Uh, here also adds the letter H, Sarah. So uh, that letter Hey uh, means presence of God. And what the sages say, both both uh, words are true, equal to him and opposed to him. That is, if H is present, if she is, uh, if a man uh, follows commandments, if a man lives a godly life, his uh, woman is equal to him. If he doesn't uh, follow the word of God, then there is fire between them. That's what, for example, in Judaism, when people uh, are earning money and working very hard, most rabbis would tell them, if it's a married man, for example, they say, your responsibility is to make an effort to work hard, as hard as you can. But how much money you will make doesn't depend on your efforts. But decide, God will decide how much you will make. It depends on what? How you live at home your life. If there is peace, uh, we call it shlombite. If there is peace in your home, you will get your money. If you don't treat your wife right, there will be ash. There will be fire between you. She will not be your equal. And there will be no peace because there is no God there. So when people say, oh, religious people, a man is controlling everything, it's totally untrue. Uh, there are, of course, there are, there are people in every tradition, in every group, who don't who call themselves followers of this or that, and they don't really live by that. But a person is a religious person. Uh, in Judaism, a, a woman is called a keratabite. It's the essence of the house. Anyway, uh, I think it's time for us now to wrap up. Uh, I thought we'll go a little further. I get carried away by stories. Uh, so we'll have to end with verse 18. Uh, I was hoping we'll get to creation of Eve. That's a juicy part and very interesting to talk about. But we'll, we'll end here on uh, chapter 2, and we're about to start verse 19. Uh, and very soon, Eve is created. Uh, but now, <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, really hope you will write to me because I, I need, just like I was tell, telling you this when I just started this show, I needed your feedback because I felt so insecure just doing a radio show because I was not used to talking in the air because I'm so used to teaching classes and seeing people's faces, seeing their responses. That's why I, I loved teaching this workshop when, or when I'm invited by others to teach workshops. Uh, to teach classes, because I see people's uh, reaction, responses. So 
but the way I get your responses is through email. Please so write to me if you have any questions about the material that we covered today, or uh, you know what's coming. We'll be talking about following uh, verses and its creation of Eve and the whole story of forbidden fruit and so on. You can write about it. You can question whatever you want, or if you have questions uh, about health, um, again, you are welcome to write. I will gladly talk about that as well. And finally, please write if you are interested in me in talking, presenting you with uh, what I taught um, at Gary Knoll's retreat, uh, keeping sanity in the world that went crazy. Let me know. Uh, otherwise, if you don't get emails or enough emails, I will not do it. By the way, I also have other programs I never shared with you. For example, I have a program, uh, Healing and Preventing Cancer. That's a whole course that I teach, and I will be happy if you're interested in talking about that. I have another uh, workshop that I taught for years called Heal Your Heart Through Mind-Body Integrative Therapy talking about cardiovascular disorders and mind-body. Um, anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you for being with me today. Be happy. Peace to all who want to live in peace. They're not playing music. Adelante, get up, tú debes ir adelante, tú debes ir, ay, según.